0: The podcast of Amago Day Community, where we're convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday's service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. Well, good morning, Imago Day. It's good to have you with us today. Is my mic on? Yeah. Okay. Good. Uh, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter three. Uh, I hope you're reading through the story with us. You're, you're going to be ahead of us, and then we're going to catch up on Sundays. And so uh, please do join us as we sort of walk through the story. And the idea here is that uh, this is the story we find ourselves in. And so when we try to interpret the world and understand our lives outside the context of God's story, many times we get very, very confused, not simply about sort of the landscape of our life, but about who God is and who we are and what the meaning of everything is kind of all about. And today we, we come to Genesis chapter three, which introduces the conflict in the human story. When you watch the news or you suffer loss or grief, or even the reality that Martin Luther King had to have a dream, Because the world is not the way it's supposed to be. We find the seeds of the human struggle right here in this very chapter. And so when you sit there in your own life and you come up against the the pain, the suffering, the sorrow, the injustice. The reality is that God's story from very early on, explains how the world got this way and gives us the hope that we have in the the context of this type of setting. And so look with me here at verse one. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. <laughs> you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This is the part of the story that we traditionally call the fall, the fall of humanity. And it's right here in the third chapter of the book that we realize that there's an enemy of God. And, and how we got here, we're not quite sure, we're not necessarily told, but we do know that there already is an opposition, an oppos- someone that's opposing the shalom that God created this beautiful harmony between God and his creation and between humanity and each other and the world that they've been placed in. And this serpent that we now know through the rest of scripture is is the enemy, is Satan. He is an enemy not only of God, but also of God's creation. And he exists to destroy our life to undermine God's word and his work and his promises. And he does that in very subtle sort of ways. Like he does that by just asking those accusatory questions. Did God really say that? Surely surely he just doesn't want you to be like him. And, and there's a driving force behind most of these sort of satanic temptations. And that's to ask the question, is God good? We know from Genesis 1 and 2 that God creates the world as a benevolent, loving God. And he brings this creation into the communion of Father, Son, and Spirit But the undermining work of the enemy is to get you to ask questions, is God really good? Did his work really accomplish that? Is his word really faithful? Will he be true to his promises? And to build this sense of distrust, to to put a wedge between you and God. Have you ever asked the question, is God good? Does he love me? Is he faithful? Can I trust him? And those questions may indeed be questions of your own sort of heart and mind. But don't pretend that they're not fueled and they didn't originate somewhere. And they originated in the heart and mind of the enemy. Who would love nothing more than for you and for I and for all of creation to to run, to rebel, to turn our backs on the goodness and the love and the character of God. Satan exists to destroy our life and to undermine what God wants to do, how he wants to work, how he wants to fulfill his word and his promises in your life. And so we find the results of this in verse six. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. The eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And when the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid themselves from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman you put me here with, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. The moment that um, sin enters the human heart, the self becomes the main focus, right? The minute that sin takes root in the heart of humanity, the self becomes now the focus. Where before it was God and it was the other and it was creation, now it turns inward. We turn inward and we focus on us. And you see this shifting in shame, in hiding, and in blame. The first thing that they do is they recognize that they're naked and they're very ashamed. There was an innocence in that moment that was lost. When you see a two-year-old kid running around naked, you think, oh, that's cute, right? There's an innocence to it. When they're 14, it's weird. (laughs) And when they're an adult, it's a crime. (laughs) But they had that childlike innocence about them that all of a sudden now they're aware, they're self-focused, and they're full of shame. And that shame many times is appropriate. That when we rebel, when we turn our backs against God and his design, there is an appropriate sense of shame. But Satan comes along and he takes that shame and he blows it up. And he causes you to only focus on those places of your failures, of your insecurities, of the places that you're not. And that shame causes us to hide from God. To turn and to run away from him. And hiding is, for whatever reason, it's woven into the DNA of our humanity. That when God comes to town, we don't run out to meet him. We run away from from this God. We're trying to hide ourselves, cover ourselves, rescue ourselves, redeem ourselves. But we know that in face-to-face with the God who calls to us, who comes after us, who looks for us, we are much more comfortable hiding. And how many of us are hiding today? It doesn't matter whether you've been following Jesus for a long time or, or you don't even know if you believe in Jesus. There's still a very real sense that when it comes face to face with being confronted by the loving God who calls out your name, some of us are much more comfortable. Most of us are much more comfortable to go and hide, to cover ourselves, figure out a way to, to, that we can present ourselves to God. But he knows, because let's be honest, we're all, we're all naked before God. He knows everything about us, and we want to hide. And the next thing that we do is that we blame, right? I mean, it's a pretty classic statement. Adam, why'd you do this? Uh, The woman, the woman, uh, she gave me, you you put her here and she, now, one chapter earlier, he's like, oh, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, she will be called (laughs) woman, right? And now it's like, I don't know who she is. She started picking fruit, and she fed it to me, and, it's, and you put her here, so leave me alone. It's much like the wedding, right? At the wedding, it's we say these vows to each other. It's like, I will never do anything to hurt you. I will, you know, look into your eyes every day with love. And, and then six months later, you're like, I don't remember what those vows were, just... Why are you doing this to me? And so we see this sense of blame that it's blame shifting. The woman blames the serpent. Like every time it comes to our own responsibility, we want to blame other people. It's natural for us now to self justify because the problem with the world isn't me, it's you. The problem in this relationship isn't me, it's you. And and very few of us, if ever, without the grace of God, will have the ability to stand before God and say, I'm the problem, I did it, it's my fault. We're much more comfortable blaming other people. And that kind of blame shifting is what Creates the context for the story we find ourselves in today. We 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 can evaluate other people, we can judge other people, we can decide who's right and who's wrong and who doesn't fit. And rather than looking with compassion and love towards the other, what we do is we, we find a way to use the other to justify ourselves, whether we're better than them or why it's their fault. And even as we get into conversations like conversations of color and diversity, uh, you know, our, our, our journey into this kind of reconciliation, it has nothing to do with being politically correct or any of those things. But as we've been on mission in the city, we've recognized the inequity and the injustice that exists in our very city and also we've recognized that in the heart of God, the church is to be a prophetic witness, a signpost to say this is not the way it's supposed to be. But in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek nor male or female, that all the boundaries of so, uh, social and economic and race and gender that we can come together as brothers and sisters under the family of the cross. But in that conversation, I want to hide. It's really, as a white man, I look back at the past, I look at the oppression and the injustice, and and it's horrifying. And I want to blame the past. But I also want to fix the future. And, And the deeper we get in the conversation, you realize, I can't fix anything. We don't have the resources in ourselves to fix anything. But rather than blaming or even trying to self-justify, I can admit that I'm the problem. G.K. Chesterton once was asked, what is the problem with the world? And he said, I am, right? That I'm the problem, it's my ignorance, it's my lack of concern, it's my ability to be very content in my own world of Affinity and homogeneity, that my ability to disregard the plight of other people is immense, it's enormous, that I'm the problem. And we can create a space to meet and recognize that we all own a piece here in what has has happened how it's been responded to and what God's dream and vision is. We want to hide and we want to blame and we want to cover our own sense of shame. But it's in this story that we find really the seeds that have sprung up and created the world that you and I now live in. We We're the problem. Verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all the wild animals and you'll crawl on your belly and you'll eat dust all the days of your life and I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers and he'll crush your head and you'll strike his heel. To the woman He said, "I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children, and your desire will be for your husband, and he'll rule over you." And to Adam he said, "Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree which I commanded you not to eat from, cursed is the ground because of you. And through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. And it will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you'll eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow." And You'll eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. God's judgment upon sin is that life falls under a curse now. And at first glance, I think most of us would say, hey, can we just forgive and forget God? Like, why? Why put it under a curse? Why would you do that? And whether most of our why questions are answered from God or not, the truth is that he is a good God, and in his grace, he has put us in a situation where we might look outside of ourselves to hope. Because if it wasn't the situation, we definitely would not ever seek God the beauty of his creation is now scraped up and marred by sin and as much as we look at it and think well it's an ethical thing they they didn't do what he commanded at the, at the core of it is relational fracturing that now when it comes to the harmony and the shalom between God and humanity that's been broken, that's been fractured. When God seeks you, you hide from him. There is now sin in your own heart and a deceiver who is running rampant with that. There is a relational fracturing between us and each other, between husbands and wives, between people of different races and gender and social status. And it's It's now that self-consuming inward focus that allows things like genocide and terrorism, war and violence. The seeds of oppression and violence and spiritual rebellion, they're all sown right here into the fabric of the story. But they've been given birth in our own hearts and our lives in the world that we live in. That the fracturing is deep. The brokenness is extreme. But it's not just them over there. It's in us as well. That the reason these relationships have so much tension isn't just because the other person is crazy. Right? It's because of you. And of me. We are... The problem and trying to justify our own broken humanity is a joke. I mean, honestly, all we do is hurt other people, oppress other people, try to overtake other people because we're spending all of our energy and power and resources or lack thereof to justify ourselves. It is a relational fracturing. So where do we go from there? What happens to us? Well, look at verse 20. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work for the ground from which he had been taken. And he drove the man out and he placed him on the east side of the garden of Eden. Cherubim, flaming sword, flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. It's in this place of devastation This place of relational isolation. Well, now there is this chasm between God and humanity, God and His creation. And it's gracious of God to protect Adam and Eve from eating of the tree of life because to live forever in this state of rebellion would be empowering them to live under the deception of that unholy alliance to believe that they are God and they can live forever, no matter how much evil and sin they would live out and act upon. And so the world now is, it's broken, right? There's loss and there's grief, there's death, there's mourning, there's tears. It's not the way it's supposed to be and everything within us recognizes that. And we, we hopefully can come to the place where we look outside of ourselves for hope. Not just in another system, another program, another attempt. But, but to come to the devastating reality that we are a people who are desperate for God to come and help us. And so even here in the third chapter of Genesis, there are allusions to God's answer in verse 15. He speaks about the offspring of the woman and the enmity between the serpent and her offspring. And he says, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. It's not necessarily a solution, but it's a sign. A sign that would cause people to look up from this story, up from the, the rubble and the brokenness and wonder when that one will come who will crush the serpent's head. There's also this picture of sacrifice and that God makes garments of skin to cover their shame. There is this foreshadowing, this illusion that sacrifice is made to cover the shame of sin. And we now know that that seed has come in Jesus. Jesus who was not trapped under the sinful nature of Adam. But came as the new Adam who would bring the new creation. Hebrews Chapter two says it this way Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. That that this God keeps calling even though we keep hiding. He keeps coming after us even though we keep running. And that he who knew no sin, who, who didn't enter into this unholy alliance of Genesis 3, he became sin for us on a cross so that we would become his righteousness. And he overcomes the grave and he ascends to heaven and he reigns as king. And this promise at the very beginning of the story that's foreshadowed here is given to us in the grace of Jesus. Which means that we can be a people who don't blame. We can be a people who say, I did it. I'm the problem. The hope is not that I'm going to necessarily reform myself. I need the grace of God. The Bible tells us that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and he's just and he'll forgive us for our sins and purify us from all of our unrighteousness. That there's no way that we can justify ourselves, but we can come now to the one who has justified us through his own death on the cross. We can confess. It also means that now in these tense moments of relational brokenness, I can confess to you. I don't have to blame, I don't have to hide my shame, I don't have to run from you or run from God, but I can confess to you that I did it I can forgive you when you offend me because I've been forgiven. The thing that radically implodes this hostile attack of Genesis 3 are these, are these seeds of grace and forgiveness that are given to us by God. We can reconcile now. Nobody has to To win over somebody. But we can look for ways that we win together. And we can find freedom, right? Like true freedom. Freedom from hiding, freedom from shame, freedom freedom from just your own insecurity and freedom from the chains of sin. There is a place too where we're free to accept the reality of humanity. We're human, you and I, we're very human. And as human beings, we hurt each other. As human beings, we think we know best, that I know better than you know. And when those tensions arise, if there's enough grace in your heart, even in those tense moments, Eric Knox and I have knocked down drag out fights I mean, you should see our text messages sometimes. They're amazing. But we know that tomorrow, that the gospel's what holds us together. It's humanity. I'm ignorant. He gets angry, right? It's humanity. We're people. We're people in relationship. It's a messy, messy, messy thing. But we can have grace for each other. Right? Because we don't live in the Darwinian world of winner-take-all. We live in a kingdom where the grace of God has set us free. Where we've been forgiven of our sin. Where, where our arms are now not trying to self-protect, but they're open to embrace each other. Is it tough? Absolutely. Is it ugly at times? For, for sure. But there's hope. Right? There's hope, not, not hope in us, but there's hope in the one who came from outside of us and entered into the darkness of our human story and redeemed it through his own death, burial, and resurrection. There's hope. And so it's okay to take a breath and go, oh, well, I'm not perfect, and you're not perfect. And neither one of us understands everything. Uh, but we need each other. And we need to love each other. We need to be uncomfortable at times. We need to forgive at times. We need to give up power at times. And at other times we need to, we need to step in to somebody else's pain. We need to pay attention and make space for the other at our table. The person that's not like you and it's not just race, it's it's disabilities and people of different economic statuses. This is humanity and we all still bear that image of God, that dignity and the power of the cross is that we are reconciled one to another and ultimately us to God. So we come to this table today that screams hope into Genesis 3. But it's not a hope in humanity. It's a hope in the God who didn't give up on his creation, despite the fact that we did it, that we rebelled, that we ran away. He entered into that hostile, violent creation. And he bore our sin at the violent hands of humanity that he might bring us home to the Father through the loving embrace of Christ. It's a massively hopeful story today. And I want to invite you to this table, this table where you can quit hiding from God. God is calling you out of that hiding place to meet him here to lay down your shame, to be naked before him and to confess and own our sin together. We did it. I wanna invite you to these doors for prayer. Some of you as married couples need to come because you live in that Adam and Eve tension of blame and shame. And God wants to heal, right? He wants to heal you through the grace of Christ. But come today, come and meet the God of hope, Jesus Christ, the one that entered into the fall and took it for us so that we could be set free. Let's pray. Jesus, today, as we come to this table, we come confessing before you, God, that we are the problem with the world, Uh, that it's in us as much as it's in anyone. And we pray today that in your grace, by your spirit, you would meet us here and that you would cover our shame with the righteousness of Jesus, that you'd pull us out of hiding and embrace us as sons and daughters. That you would give us the grace to confess and not blame. And would you heal us, God? Would you set us free? Would you fill us with the great hope of the gospel? And would you give us the grace to accept one another in our own brokenness and humanity? Because our hope isn't in fixing each other it's in loving each other because we've been loved by you we pray these things in the name of jesus amen we pray that god will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself if you are interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church please visit our website at www.amargo-daycommunity.com.